All good? All right. Good morning. Welcome to Christ Community Church. My name is Pastor Zach. I'm one of the pastors here along with Pastor Sue, who you heard from earlier. And, and if you are newer here, I'd, I'd love to get to know you after the service. Or if you are a uh, introverted person like myself, or, or you have somewhere to go, there are these little cards or little cards that you received coming in. If you write your name and number or email on there, rip it off and put it in one of the offering baskets one of us, one of us pastors will reach out to you throughout the week. We'd love to, to hear from you and get to know you. All right. This week we're continuing a series that we have been calling Mixtape. And, and what the idea behind that is, is that, at least in my opinion, in order to create a good mixtape, or by the way, if, if you were born after 1990s, we can call it Playlist or whatever you want. But in order to create one, you need to fill it with songs that, that have meaning to you, songs that make you feel something. Uh, we've used the phrase songs that, that speak to our human experience, right? And, and one of the really awesome things about the Bible is that it has its own mixtape. About halfway through it, if you open it up, you'll see this book called Psalms. And this book is, is a collection of ancient songs. If we were meeting for church thousands of years ago, those are the songs that we would be singing together. And in fact, we are using, as Jesse said, we're using some of the words from the Psalms in our songs today. And just like a good mixtape, those songs speak to our human experience. They give us words for, for when we're happy or, or when we're sad, when, when we're celebrating or, or when we're mourning, when, when we're thankful or when we're angry. They cover just about the entirety of the human experience. And so what we've been doing for the series is, is grabbing from that mixtape certain songs and looking at them. And so far we've looked at a song of, of thanksgiving about God's love, and, and we've looked at a song of, uh, of for times of, of fear and trouble. Today we're looking at Psalm 139. If you want to open your Bibles there, and, and I think that's a song of, of reflection and confession. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 139 as we read this song together. If you're using a Bible in the pews, it's on page 893. And as always, if, if you don't have a Bible, please come talk to me or Sue afterwards. We'd love to send you home with one. That's 893, page, page 893. But before we read, let's pray together. Lord, you know us. So help us to know you better. This morning, we ask that you open our eyes to better see you, open our ears to better hear you, and, and open our hearts to, to better receive you. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, Psalm 193. There is not a Psalm 193. That was a test. Um, 139. Psalm 139. For the director of music of David A. Psalm. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word was on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. 
and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my beds in the depths, you are there. If I rise on wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's wombs. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. If, if I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And, and here this psalm comes to this, this kind of big turn. Almost to the point where it seems like there, there's no way this is still the same song. There's no way this is still the same writer, but, but it's very connected, and we'll get to that. It says, If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. So about a month ago, I, I made a, a pretty big decision. Uh, I made the decision to deactivate my Instagram and my Facebook accounts. <laughs> That's, this is not a me bragging moment. Uh, and, and by the way, I, I, if we were friends or we followed each other and you recently looked me up, I didn't block you. Okay? I just don't have them anymore. And, and I didn't get rid of them because I'm some anti-social media person. Um, I, I don't think Facebook is the bane of, of human existence like some people, but for the most part, I, I really don't think there's too much wrong with Instagram and, and Facebook. I, I don't think they're bad things, um, but they were starting to become bad things for me. For one, my phone gives me a screen time update every Sunday right before church, which is a great way to kick off the service, uh, and it was, it's always high. But I also work on my laptop and, and on my iPad, and it takes all that into account. So I always thought, you know, I spend eight hours a day on my computer. My screen time is going to be high. About a month ago, I checked it to see the breakdown, and the number one and number two things were Facebook and Instagram, which isn't great. And it got to the point where... Uh, Every time I opened a new tab on my computer, immediately I would type in Facebook.com, whether or not I wanted to go there. And so this was the reason that really pushed me over the edge towards deactivating those accounts. But, but the core reason 
I'd been thinking of for a while. And that reason is that I just didn't feel good being on them. Right? They, they made me feel bad about myself, especially Instagram, which, if, if you don't know, it's, it's a site where people primarily post pictures of themselves having fun or, or doing good things or, or looking great. People don't tend to post pictures of the mundane on Instagram. They, they post pictures of the spectacular, a, a family vacation or a day at the beach or a picture of them looking really good with a bunch of filters and, and editing. You know, I'd, I'd post a picture of, of the way too expensive sandwich I bought yesterday, not of the two corn dogs I had for dinner. So, so I'd be scrolling through these pictures and I'd see one of my friends is, is vacationing in Italy while I'm vacationing in Michigan and staying with my parents, which was great, which was great, mom and dad. <laughs> but it wasn't Italy great, right? And, and so I'd start to feel bad about myself. I'd scroll through and, and compare the best part of people's lives to, to the average part of my life. And by comparison, it never felt good. And I know it's not logical, but, but that's what it was doing to me, and, and I had to get rid of them. I did keep one social media app. It's kind of, new, kind of newer one. It's called Be Real. And, and the goal of this is to basically be the anti-Instagram. Every day at an unknown time, an alert goes off, and you have two minutes to take a picture of, of whatever you're doing before you're late. And so what it does is you, you, when you hit the picture button, it takes a picture on the front camera of your face, and it takes a picture of the back camera of, of whatever you're doing. And the idea was that it makes you be real with people. You can't, like, put the filters on. You can't pretend to be doing something you're not. The hope is that it will take pictures, people will take pictures of their everyday, ordinary lives. And so I've been doing that, but I'll be honest, I still kind of cheat with it. If I get the notification and I'm laying on my couch watching Lost, I'll, I'll often turn off the TV and pick up whatever book is next to me and pretend like I was reading and not watching TV. If I'm taking a break at work, I'll, I'll open my laptop and pretend like I was working hard away at whatever next sermon is. If I'm in the middle of eating corn dogs for dinner, I'll make sure that the corn dogs are not in the picture. I cheat. I make my life look, look better or, or more interesting than it actually is. You see, I, I got rid of Instagram, but I'm still Instagramming, Instagramifying my life whenever I can. And, and the key here is, is I want people to know me, but I want them to, to know the me that I want them to know. Does that make sense? I, I want them to see what I'm willing to reveal. The, the whole point of social media is, is that, right? To show people your life, but in the way you want them to see your life. I don't want you to see the lazy, unproductive, corndog-eating side of me because I think you'd think less of me if you saw that. And I, if I'm honest with you all, I, I think that hits core to one of my greatest needs and, and one of my greatest fears as well. You see, I want to be known. I, I want to be known fully. But I also have this fear that, that if you really knew me, I don't know if you'd like me all that much. If you knew me, the, the whole of me, the, even the darkest corners of my heart, heart, one heart, 
don't, I don't know if, if you'd like me. And, and I don't think I'm alone in that. Right? I, I think we all, at some, some level or another, have this fear, this fear of being known. You know, if only they knew how I treat my wife, if they only knew how I talk to my parents, if they only knew how I yell at my kids, if they only knew the way I gossip behind my friend's back, if if they only knew what my internet history looked like, if they only knew how much I rely on, on substances to get me through the day, if they only knew these intrusive thoughts that I constantly have, if they only knew that most days I can barely bring myself out of bed, if they only knew how much I don't like myself. I, I don't know if they'd like me very much either. See, the psalmist speaks about a God who knows him. Not just a, a God who, who knows of him, or, or a God who knows about him, or, or a general reputation of who the psalmist is, but this is a God who knows him. The, the Hebrew word here is yada. It's used seven times here. God knows the psalmist. You've searched me, Lord, and and you know me. And and the psalmist is very intentional about these next words that he uses. He uses both active and and passive verbs, and and they're they're opposites of each other to to show the whole span of his being. You you know when I do this and and when I don't do this. You know when I sit and when I rise, when when I go out and when I lie down. No matter what I do or or what I don't do, you know it, Lord. You are familiar with all of my ways. I mean, you even know my thoughts and my words before I think or say them. You know them completely. And then I love verse 5, if you're following along. He's creating this picture. You, You hem me in from behind and before. Lord, you surround me on all sides. And, And then you lay your hand upon me. I am completely engulfed by your presence. And then this next section, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? There isn't a place I can go where you're not there. Of course, if I go up to the heavens, you're going to be there. That's, that's where you are. But even if I make my bed in the depths, you're there too. See, the word for depths here is, is Sheol, which is a reference to, to the underworld. In the ancient world, there's this, this three-tiered worldview. You have heavens and earth and, and Sheol. And, and, and Sheol are, are where the, the dead people go, and on earth are where the humans go, and, and in heaven are, are where the gods are, or where God is. And, and God will maybe make his presence known on earth, but, but not in Sheol. But this psalmist is saying, even in the depths of Sheol, you are there with me. God is, is present with him in, in every aspect of, of the vertical life, and, and he's also present everywhere in this, this horizontal sense as well, from, from the rising on the wings of the dawn, which, which means from the far east to the far side of the sea, which is the far west. God is there. And the psalmist has an idea. Surely, if if I hide myself in the darkness, God won't find me there. But immediately he remembers God is light. So even in the darkness, the the darkness is not darkness to a God who is light. The dark is light to him. There's no hiding from God. Regardless where the psalmist flees, he, he cannot escape the grasp or the notice of God. And then this next section, 
starting with verse 14, it, it begins with a really important word, for, which we can also translate as, as because. This, this is the reason why God knows this psalmist so well. It's because he's the one who created him. God has known him from the moment of conception, from the very beginning of his existence. He was known by God. In the womb, he was not hidden from God. God saw his unformed body, and, and outside of the womb, in, in the present and the future, the psalmist is and will be known by God because all his days were ordained for him by God. No part of his life from his formation in the secret places until now, has escaped the watchful gaze of a God who loves him. See, God knows him because he is with him. God knows every part of him because he has always been with him. Now we get to the place in the psalm that, that seems maybe out of place. Only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty, which literally means men of blood. These people that, that seek blood, that, that seek violent and, and murderous ways. And the psalmist comes to seem, uh, seems to come to this realization that, that I'm sure many of us have come to at some point or another. Is, is that if God knows me so well, <laughs> he must know them pretty well too. And if God knows my enemies so well, why would God let them attack me? Why would God lead me into this situation? Why would God even allow my enemies to exist in the first place? The psalmist then reminds God of, of who these people are. They, they speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. See what he's doing there? He, he's invoking the third commandment. So God, you, you wrote this down, and they are breaking it. You said that you would not hold anyone guiltless who misused your name. Well, guess what? That's what they're doing. They're guilty. Growing up, I always thought that this meant you shouldn't yell, Jesus Christ, when, when you hit your thumb with a hammer. Or you shouldn't say, oh my God, when, when you're surprised by something. But, but later in life, I've come to realize that, that this is so much more deeper than that. Misusing the name of God also looks like misrepresenting the name of God. Claiming to be a Christian, putting on that Christian jersey, and then going out and living a life that's total misrepresentation of what the values and, and life of a Christian should look like. You know, uh, like putting one of those Jesus fish bumper stickers on the back of your car and then, and then going out and cutting people off and swerving from lane to lane. Or... or having a, a cross tattoo, and then maybe doing things that aren't so Jesus-like. Oops. I'll admit that I'm guilty of this. I'm also willing to bet that all of you are too. And, and I think this is the point where the psalmist maybe realizes that he might be guilty of this as well. Because how does he close this psalm? He closes it in confession. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. It's like he realized, oh, I can 
complain about the way other people are living, but, but maybe I need to check in on myself, on my own heart, make sure I'm not doing those same things. The psalmist wants to be led in the way of the everlasting, led in the way of God. So he asks the Lord to search him and reveal to him, which, again, a scary thing to do, to be vulnerable, especially to God. He invites the Lord into the darkest corners of his heart, of his heart, asking his light to come in and, and reveal all the hidden junk that's tucked away. I mean, if, if to be known by someone is our deepest desire and our greatest fear, how much is that amplified when that someone is God? Every time I read the psalm, I, I kind of come away with a different of, uh, idea of how the psalmist feels about being known by God. And the way I understand it, I, I think, is often dependent on the way I feel about being known by God at that time, about what's going on in my life. At times, the psalmist seems incredibly comforted by the nearness of God, and, and at other times, he seems terrified. But I think it's a little of both. And I think that's all right. I think we have a tendency to, to want God to be near us, right? But preferably not not too near to us. There are things in our lives that, that we want to keep hidden from others. The things that, that we fear if someone knew, they, they maybe wouldn't like us all that much. And we have a tendency to, to try to keep those things also hidden from God, keep our own hearts hidden from, from the God who has made them. But if God is who we believe him to be, there is no part of us that is unknown to him. I think the problem we have is that we think unconditional love means that the one that does the loving can't see anything wrong in us. But it's the opposite of that, right? Unconditional love is when someone loves me despite the fact of all the junk I have hidden away. And that's the love God has for us. And, and the proof of that is in Christ. God became man. He, he became one of us so that he could experience what it's like to be one of us, to, to understand the challenges and the flaws and the pain and the suffering of, of what it is to be human. He went through extraordinary efforts to, to actually know us. And then to show how much he does love us, he died. He, he died a death that we deserved. God knew us, and despite knowing about all of our brokenness, despite knowing all the things that we don't want him to know, he loved us so much that he took on that brokenness and nailed it to a cross. The ultimate act of love. Tim Keller, who's a pastor, he just recently passed away. He was also an author, and, and one of my favorite quotes of his is, is this. It says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is, is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, well, that's what being loved by God is. It's what we need more than anything. It, it liberates us from, from all pretense. It, it humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and, and it fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. Friends, God knows you. 
He knows when you sit and when you rise. He, he knows your thoughts and your words before you even do. He knows the darkest corners of your hearts. He knows your faithfulness and your faithlessness. And he loves you deeply. We have a God who fully knows us and, and truly loves us. And because God has known us, fully known us, he now encourage us to invite him to search us and to reveal to us any offensive way so that we may be led in his way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your consistent, consistent presence in our lives. Thank you for the way that you know us. Even more, thank you for the way that you love us, despite how well you know us. Lord, help us to remember your, your knowledge of us and, and your love for us so that we don't have to pretend around you, so that we don't have to act like, like we have our lives all put together because we know that you know better. Encourage us to come to you honestly without holding anything back. It's your son's precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Friends, one of the ways that God encouraged us um, us to, to search our own hearts is, is through this practice of, of something we call confession. Uh, this isn't a time where we let God know about the bad things we've done as if he doesn't already know about them. It, it's not a time where we go to God and, and try to be really, really, really sorry in, in hopes that he will forgive us if we seem sorry enough. No. One of the reasons we, we go to confession is to acknowledge the fact that God does fully know us and, and that we both want to be known by him and to know ourselves better. And, and so during this, this closing song, there, there's going to be this, this moment where I'm going to use the psalm that we just read as, as a prayer, and then we're going to offer a time of silent confession where, where you all, all of us, get to just offer our hearts to God. Um, so let's, I want to encourage you to rise in, in body or spirit as we sing together. <laughs>